Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have Brandon with our joke. Oh, Trey with our joke. That was a joke. Love the enthusiasm. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, I'm Trey and I am an alcoholic. This is from Take Me to Your Sponsor, Best Jokes, Arguable, and Cartoons from A.A. Grapevine. This joke is called Fightin' Words. A drug stumbles into a biker bar and orders a drink. He sees three men sitting at a corner table, so he staggers over and looks the biggest, meanest biker in the face and says, I was at your grandma's house today, and man, is she one fine-looking woman. The biker doesn't say a word. His buddies are confused because he's one bad biker and would fight at the drop of a hat. The drunk leans over again and says, I made out with your grandma, and she's the best kisser I ever met. The biker's buddies are starting to get mad, but the biker says nothing. The drunk leans on the table one more time and says, I'll tell you something else, boy. She lacked it. (laughs) At this point, the biker stands up, takes the drunk by the shoulders, looks him square in the eyes, and says, Grandpa, go home. Thanks, Trey. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Spencer. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment and get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise uh, or will distract other people.
take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everyone ready? Yeah. All right. Let's start the meditation. Can everyone please join me in the fog light prayer? It's uh, to my left and to my right, and uh, it's in the chairs, uh, on the back of the chairs. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out. On which we can absolutely agree. And upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book uh, carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked my friend Lisette to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is. said and I'm an alcoholic spiritual experience the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. 
Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is content prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thanks, Lisette. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane slash meeting mode or just turn them off. Uh, this speaker had a, some really good first and second weeks, but last week he really brought the house down. I'm waiting to see what he has this week. Please help me in welcoming Pat. Recovered alcoholic, my name is Pat. Thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and for that I'll be forever grateful. AA didn't just save my life, but it gave me a new life, and I uh, absolutely love my life today. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, or thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Till I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as to what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. I don't know if I'd be here today if it wasn't for that prayer. Uh, I, I shared with you guys when I got here 
I had blown up my life. I, I had everything that, anything or anybody that cared about me and anybody or anything I cared about was gone. And, and I was sitting here with a mindset, with the victim mindset of how could this be happening to me? How did I end up here? And I couldn't, I'm, I'm be honest with you, I couldn't think of a worse place to be. Yeah, I really couldn't. I, I, I really couldn't. I, I really, if I had insurance, I would have gone to treatment or something. I, I, I really felt like that would have been a better place to be. At least I could, you know, brag about being in treatment or something, you know. But I couldn't brag about being here, you know. My mother wouldn't even tell people I was here, you know. I told you guys that story, right? I got to speak at the CA International Convention. I mean, on, they Skyped it like all over the world before Zoom. And uh, I told my mother that, and she went, oh, that's nice. (laughs) And then she held her purse a little tighter. (laughs) But I, uh, man, I had to believe that there was some reason that this was all taking place. I mean, my house was gone. They took, I lost custody of my child. You know, my career was about over. Uh, and I was stuck with you guys, uh, not, not drinking and going to Denny's <laughs> every freaking night, you know. And, uh, and later, that's, that's, by the way, that's, uh, it was 449 when I came in, but it's 417 now. It's uh, in Dr. Paul Olinger's story. And, and Dr. Paul goes on to say, right at the bottom of that same page, he goes on to say that I thought the worst day of my life was the day that I came into AA. And it turned out to be the best day of my life. And then he goes on to say that I, that means I don't know what's best for me. So when you ask me for advice, I don't know what's best for you either. You know? and, and I look back at my life, and, and that, that's a truth. That's an absolute truth. That I really believed that the, last day, the worst day of my life was the day that I landed here. Turns out it was absolutely, without a doubt, the best day of my life. Now there's some other circumstances that took place in my life also that I thought were the second or third worst days of my life. And they also ended up to be the second and third best days of my life, you know. But I only saw that in the rearview mirror because when I was going through it, I couldn't think of anything worse that could possibly happen to me at that time. But, but that's where we are. And that's what I've never been able to do in my whole life was look in the mirror. Was look at me. I'm blaming you and them. And I'm a victim of circumstances and, and bad breaks. Yeah. Misunderstandings. Mostly with police officers and judges and ex-wives. But I, and I can't see it. I, I, you know, why is this happening to me? Why is it always happening to me? And, and, it, and, it, and we're at a point in the program now. We're, we're at a point in the program of recovery where it's time to look at us. They're leading up to tell us that this is, it's us. It's not them. If and even if it is, we can't change them. There's nothing we could do about them. All we can do is change our attitude and our outlook on them. But how the hell do I do that? I can't even get, I can't get out of my own way. I can't get out of my own head. That's where I'm at. I can't get out of my head long enough to look at anybody else. Yeah. And there's been some requirements to get to this point. To even get to this point, there's been some requirements... Facing an admitted defeat is like the ultimate requirement, right? If you're not there, none of this matters. None of this matters. 
if you're not, if you've not faced an admitted defeat, if you have not admitted that you are powerless and that you want a new way of life, then, I mean, that's a requirement. There's two requirements. And then seeking a power greater than human power for a solution is requirement number two. The ABCs are requirements. The first two steps are requirements to get where we are. Why else would we be here? Why else would we, would we even read the third step? Yeah. Why else would we even look at ourselves? Why would we look in the mirror? I was desperate. I was desperate. You guys couldn't scare me out of here with God. Yeah. I was desperate. Just give me whatever you got. I, I don't know what else to do, you know. I, I find it funny when, you know, when people land here and go, oh, the God thing, you know. I don't, shit, I didn't, I didn't care what you had. I'm, I'm glad, you, you know, it wasn't Harry Krishna or some shit, you know. I mean, I'd be out on the corner with a tambourine and a bald head and a robe, you know. Selling roses and shit, you know. I was thrilled to death that, you know, at some point, look, hey, I struggled with the conception, right? I mean, I struggled with the concept like everybody does. But if that's all you got, give me something to read. You know, give me something to do. I spent, I spent most of my first three months, and I share with you guys, I struggled. I was dying in recovery my first three months in recovery. My first three, four, five months in recovery. I was dying inside in these rooms. And the only thing that kept me together was you. You were holding me up. You were dragging me to Denny's. You were dragging me to ice cream. You know. Dragging me to gratitude dinners like I was grateful. You know. <laughs> Made me do service. Opening up clubhouses. Painting club rooms. Cleaning bathrooms. That's what you had me. That's how I stayed sober my first four or five months. And the fact that I had nowhere else to go. And I'm sleeping in the back room of my mother's house. You know? Where am I going? That you couldn't scare me. You know? If that's what you got, what do you want me to read? You know? I think it's only, only when we feel like we've beat the game, when we, only when we feel like, all right, alcohol's not a threat anymore, we start to doubt, we start to back away. But man, when I got here, I, I'll take whatever you got. You can't scare me. You know? But those are requirements. And then we, and we land at a place where it says, my behavior is the issue. It goes from mental to physical to my behavior. It's my need for pleasure. It's my need to escape through the sex instinct, the security instinct, and the social instinct. It's my need to satisfy those, those uh, instinctual drives exceeding what God intended them to be puts me in conflict with the world. And they retaliate. And what the book is telling me is it's my fault. It's not them. That I'm bringing out the worst in everybody. You know, I was, I was, I don't know what made me think about it. Uh, I guess after I left here last week and we were talking about the third step and about the instincts and the, the perversion of those instincts, taking them beyond what God exceeded them to be. And I thought about my life. I mean, one thing about doing these step series is, man, they bring you back to the beginning, man. You know, I mean, I am there. I, I am at my first weeks of recovery when I get here tonight. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling it. You know, I'm feeling what I felt then. And maybe that's why I, I stay so involved. You know, I, I never forgot that feeling of hopelessness when I got here. You know, it just, it just drove me... I didn't know. I was just, I felt hopeless when I got here. And you guys just gave me a little bit of hope and opened up a doorway for me. But uh, what the hell was I talking about? 
his instincts. The book says that I have to find a new director, that God is going to be my director, that he is going to be the principal, he is going to be the agent, that I have a new employer, that I need to follow the life that he dictates or it dictates. When I say God, whatever you think that is, that's what I'm talking about, okay? You know, whatever your conception is of that. Spirit of the universe, creative intelligence, nature, whatever you want it to be, you know? doesn't matter at this point. I sought pleasure over principles. I don't know. They just, I, I left here last night and said, if it was pleasure or principles, I took the pleasure. You know? It didn't matter whose principles I was violating, yours or mine. Forget about spiritual principles. You know, the second step talks about the God of our, our own conception of God, the God within Right? We all know that feeling. We all have a conscience, right? We all have a soul, a part of us that knows that it knows what we're doing is wrong. But it's gonna be fun. <laughs> right? And as bad as I as bad as the guilt is while I'm walking towards the fun, a couple of drinks makes it a little easier to make the walk. You know? I get permission as I start drinking a drug or whatever whatever it is that's gonna give me that permission. And then afterwards, when I realized, well, that was screwed up, I just blew up my relationship. The girl that I was going to marry, I just blew up that relationship over this three minutes, you know, or less. (laughs) And the guilt sets in, and the remorse, and oh my God. I can't believe I just did that. I need another drink. Now I can get absolution through the bottle. Right? And the more I drink, the better it feels. And then when she retaliates, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I, I said I was sorry. What more do you want? But that's, that's my mindset. That's, that's the mindset I'm in. And it doesn't matter whether it's the sex instinct or the security instinct or the social instinct. I'll lie so that you'll like me. I'll buy shit I don't need so that you'll like me. I'll buy stuff I don't need, I can't afford to impress people I don't even know so that they'll like me. I'll buy stuff I can't afford because you'll look at me and go, nice truck, nice truck. It's all about feeling good. It's all about feeling good about me. When I heard that guy say he had to like beyond his wildest dreams and he didn't have a car or a girlfriend or even a house, I thought, what the hell is he talking about? He was coming from such a different place than I was. I was living from the outside in. He's living from the inside out. He's at peace on the inside. He don't need all that shit. He don't need all that stuff to be happy. He's happy. And he's like, if I get it, it's a bonus. Yeah. I actually told him that. You don't even have a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. You'd be happy. Yeah. Beyond your wildest dreams. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, do you have a car? Yeah. The book flat out tells me that I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-pity. And my behavior steps on the toes of everybody around me. They retaliate, and it puts me in conflict, and I blame them. 
Does it say right after it says that? But we don't think so. Well, we usually don't think so. <laughs> when somebody tells us, like, no, I'm a giver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you need? How much do you need? Yeah. No, they were looking at my behavior. They weren't looking at what I was driving or where I was living or what, hair my, what my hair looked like or what clothes or what watch I was having. They were watching my behavior and saying, you're a piece of shit. And it says the only one that can help us with that is God. That, that I'm incapable of reeling in those instinctual drives. I'm incapable of not living this life of pleasure. I'm incapable of choosing principles over pleasure. Because pleasure feels so damn good. And I don't feel good sober. And I need medication. And the medication comes through those instincts. It'll change the way I feel. It's a drug. Sex is a drug. The need to being accepted is a drug. There's there's an adrenaline. There's a dopamine dump attached to it when you tell me you love me. There's a high with that. And we have no way of getting rid of it without God's help. These are requirements to move forward. These are requirements for recovery. If we continue that behavior that's putting us in conflict with everybody, we will continue to be in conflict. Because the conversation is going to shift again. In step four. Flat out tells us that, that alcohol is but a symptom. We've got to get down to causes and conditions. We have underlying issues that are, that are causing our alcoholism. Alcohol is just a symptom of the problem. Alcohol is just my solution to the problem. Right? It's not the problem. It's the solution when I get... I I don't have any other solution to the way I feel. I'm an emotional cripple. From age 5 to 16, I found relief in the bottle and went on a 20-year run. That's my story. Never going back to that fear. Never going back to that kid again. Never going back to feeling less than again. Because this is great. Pee Wee Herman to John Travolta. Is over in half a bottle, right? That's a beautiful thing. That was a transformational process right there. I want more of that. It worked great for 20 years. It blew up my life, but it worked great. Until it didn't. Until it didn't, right? I mean, if it still worked, where would we be? We'd be there, right? And I warn you, if you still see something in that, You may not be done. If you still see pleasure there, if you still romance that, I I feel for you. I feel for you. I want nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with it. I haven't for a few decades now. We were laughing the other day. uh, I was with a customer who doesn't know I'm in the program or anything, but his cabinet's full of liquor, and I got to get to the bolts in this appliance that I'm installing. So I have to remove the liquor from the cabinet. I'm carrying it like dynamite. You know, I'm like, uh, and I'm setting it on the counter and like, I'm, I'm scared of it. I, I mean, it sounds funny. It, you know, it talks about, we don't recall. I'm, I'm afraid of it. It's like dynamite to me. It's like an explosive, right? And he's going, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, man, I'm not comfortable with this. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say why. And he didn't ask why. Let me get that for you. I said, sure. Go for it. So I think it's 
So they told us we're selfish, self-centered, driven by fear, self-pity, self-delusion. Are they right? Is that true? Right? Is that true? Is that really what my problem is? Well, let's find out. Right? That's what they're saying. Now, let's find out. Let's start the inventory process. Let's look at ourselves. I love, I think the business inventory is a genius. I mean, the way he phrases that. Fact-finding and fact-facing to find the truth. Right? We're going to find the facts. We're going to face the facts so that we can see the truth about ourselves. Right? They're telling me that's who I am. I don't think so. But let's take this four-step inventory series and let's see if they're telling us the truth. Right? It sounds a lot better. Fact-finding, fact-facing truth sounds a lot better than searching and fearless moral inventory. You know? That sounds like scary shit right there. Right? Moral is what throws us. Right? Oh, my God. You know, moral. Yeah. We, we, I thought when I first saw that word, a list of dirty, nasty things I have done, right? I mean, moral. Yeah. Look, Bill was a wordsmith. Bill was a lit major in high school. If he wanted you to write a list of dirty, nasty things, he would have said immoral or amoral, right? Moral means truth, right? Searching and fearless. Find the facts, face the facts so that we can find out the truth about ourselves. But the conversation shifts again. And it says, unless we overcome this spiritual malady, uh-oh, mental, physical, behavioral, spiritual. Unless we overcome this spiritual malady, we will never overcome drinking. All this information that we've gathered up to this point, the problem, the solution, the decision to seek the solution, no action involved yet. Right? Two conclusions and a decision. We haven't moved out of our chair yet. We haven't put a pen to paper yet. Right? Unless we overcome this spiritual malady, we'll never straighten out mentally and physically. All the information to this point that talks about the obsession and the allergy, the inability to see the truth, the black curtain that comes down between me and the truth, the, the inability to see what it's going to do to me in favor of what it's going to do for me. And what it's going to do for me, I'm willing to pay the price for tomorrow, today. Right? I need relief today. I'll pay the price later. Right? You guys even warn me. Don't do it. You're going to jail. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually said that. Yeah. I don't care. I said I don't care. She's leaving. I don't care. No, or no, she's not. <laughs> yeah, she's packed. No, she'll unpack. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't mean it. It's just lying to myself because I can't stand this internal condition for one more freaking second. So that's what they're talking about. Spiritual malady. I had no idea what that meant until I heard Mark Houston do a talk. And Mark talked about this internal condition. Call it what you want. Restlessness, irritability, discontentedness, fear, anxiety. Clapton calls it torment. Ah, I identified with that. Torment. I am tormented. Sober. Sober. The voices start. The calamity begins. And I can't shut it down. And then it just twists and twists and twists in my gut. Till that spring is so tight. 
and I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll try. I mean, I'll go down other roads first. You know, I'll go down the sex and the, the money and the recognition first. And then when that doesn't work anymore, I'm picking up a freaking drink because that's my go-to. And then we don't know where that's going from there. We have no idea what drug's coming after that, you know. But it's starting there. Because about that third or fourth drink, I get that, yeah, that's good. It's just too bad I could never stop there, you know. My story's usually an eight ball right after that, you know. And then three days later, I come storming in. I'm home. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> So we got to do something about this internal condition. We got to do something about this spiritual malady, this spiritual sickness that Bill's talking about, manifesting itself in the results of our behavior. What's the results of my behavior? Well, I'm pissed off at everybody. <laughs> I am pissed off and blaming everybody. I am resentful and angry. Yeah. I'm full of fear. I'm full of guilt, remorse, and shame when I stop drinking. When I'm sober and I look at my behavior, I'm, I'm, I'm sick about my behavior. And unless we overcome this spiritual malady manifesting itself in the three items that we're going to do in the big book, that we're going to look at in the big book, the resentment and anger, the fear, and the guilt, remorse, and shame, incorrect thinking, incorrect feelings, and incorrect actions. You know, we're going to look at those three areas that are creating this malady, this sickness. And unless I do something about that, I'm not staying stomped. Because if you, I mean, for the non-alcoholic, they come in here and they read the doctor's opinion or they hear somebody do a talk in the doctor's opinion and go, cool, I'm done. I get it. Don't pick up the first one. That's it. That's the solution. Don't pick up the first one. I'm incapable of not picking up the first one. I can't do it. I can't. Stop starting. <laughs> I just can't. You know, that's, what, that's what defines us. That's what sets us into a different category, the real alcoholic. That's what they're talking about. They're not talking about my buddy Jimmy, who faced with consequences after he ran with me for 20, well, I don't know how many years it was. You know, we ripped and rolled together. And when his wife said she was leaving, Jimmy went home and stayed home. And I guarantee you, he, his ass detoxed. But he's still married 38 years later or so. Three beautiful kids. I'm on my third. <laughs> it wasn't them. <laughs> You're on your third marriage. It's not them. Third job, not them. Third treatment center, not the treatment centers. Yeah. Third, fourth, fifth halfway house, not the halfways. Yeah. It's time to look at us. That's what this fourth step is about, us. The number one offender, which, which he kind of contradicts in the next area of sickness with the fear. The number one resentment, the number one offender is resentment, right? I can't stop thinking about what you did to me or didn't do for me, right? I can't let it go. <laughs> It's to replay, right? It's to refeel is what resentment means. To feel it over and over and over again, right? Somebody comes up to me and hurts me, real or imagined, you know, it talks about it. Real or imagined. I mean, I might have just taken it wrong. I, I tend to do that. 
I tend to judge you while you're walking towards me. You know, I have no idea what your name is. I have never met you. But just your attitude pisses me off. You know? I mean, I already am mad at you before I even know who you are or what you do or where you come from. Yeah. Like, look at this guy. Yeah. Thinks he's all that. You know? Somebody does hurt me legitimately. They walk away and move on with life. And I'm stuck in that mode. My mind just keeps replaying it over and over and over again. And I can't let it go. You just steal time from me. Steal my life from me. And not just days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. Even today, I can get into that mode. I mean, I have another solution now. I have people to talk about it with. I have a sponsor. I have a God in my life. The golden key is one of my things. As soon as you come into my mind again, I go right to the prayer. <laughs> you know, right, to the, right to the thank you God prayer. You know, and then you're gone and maybe 15 minutes later you come back. Yeah. And I just play it over and over again. And you know what we do? We, we paint them worse than us better. Right? Each time we replay it. Right? But at the end of the day, I was just standing there minding my own business. And you came along and bam. Yeah. For no reason. And that's what I share with you. Because yeah. I want your support. Yeah. And I want your pity. And I want you to help me get revenge. <laughs> Tell you a funny story. I, I, you know, I come from this uh, tough love men's group. Really, they really taught me how to behave and how to show up in AA. Uh, book a boys club. I, I, don't, I don't know what remember the book of boys club and guy does and uh i don't know they started out in deerfield a bunch of young guys i don't know how they got the book of boys but uh a bunch of old men in deerfield <laughs> and uh they moved out to boca because we lost the deerfield place and uh these guys it was a no-nonsense group there was crosstalk was allowed <laughs> you know what i mean like they'd shut you up mid-sentence like hey, that's not the topic pat shut up you know and, and they'd move on. I mean, they would. your phone went off in that meeting, they'd, shut the, they'd stop the meeting. They'd take it outside. Take it outside or shut it off. There was no, you know. I remember they wouldn't let me. They, I asked if I could chair the meeting. They said, yeah, you can chair. And I, I said, okay. He said, make sure you wear a collar. You know, you've got to wear a collar to chair this meeting. And, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, and I uh, come back up the next week right off work. I was working all day, just made it to the meeting. I, don't, I got my work shirt on. It's not a collar. What's the difference? You know? And they tell me I can't chair because I don't have a collar. What's the difference whether I have a collar or not? And they said, well, the difference is you can't chair. <laughs> <laughs> Gave him the finger. I left the meeting. Came back the next week with a collar. But these guys weren't afraid to hurt me. They were, they were willing to hurt my feelings and save my life. You know, they were willing to shut me up. Pat, you want to talk about your ex again? Get with us after the meeting. You know? Or before the meeting. Come to dinner. They, there was a dinner at the pizza shop next to Home Depot in Boca. Right? We, you didn't need any money. Money was not a requirement. Any, everybody was invited. And that's where you just dumped everything. You, know, you just put it all out there on the table. And everybody threw money after the dinner, and whoever had it threw it in there, and the waiters would walk around, walk away with $100 tips, and, you know, it was just a great thing, you know. But these guys taught me how to behave. 
And I was, uh, one of the things that they, they talked about was not talking during the meeting while the speaker's talking. Don't disrespect the speaker. Don't get up and walk around while the guy's speaking. Don't be talking in the meeting while the guy's speaking. Don't be on your phone. Don't be over there texting. Respect the speaker. Respect AA for the sacred place that it really is. So I'm talking to my guy. It was important as hell. You know, vital. Vital to his recovery. And some old guy looks over and goes, Shh. I went, and all my guys know me. And they all went, Mr. Rules. You know, <laughs> just got shushed in the meeting. You know, and I didn't hear another word in that meeting. You ever been one of them with somebody? I didn't hear another word. I, I don't know what, I don't even know who the speaker was. Uh, all I thought about was that son of a bitch. You know, <laughs> disrespecting, this is my home group for God's sake. You know, disrespecting me. Freaking visitor and shit, you know. I mean, that's just I'm playing this over and over again. I get outside and and my guys see I'm visibly shook. Right? He goes, "What's up, man?" I said, "Did you hear him tell me shut up?" No, he did not. He went shh, right? But by the time I got outside, it was shut up, right? He said, "Really? He told you to shut up?" I said, "Yeah, he told me shut the fuck up," you know. <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we do. And now you're, oh man, that's, that's, that's messed up. You should probably get another home group. That's bullshit, be treated like this in your home group. You're damn right it is, man. There's no way I should be treated like that. You know? No, I got you. I got you on my side. Right? All imagined. The whole scenario is imagined. I, I tell my stuff, some of that stuff, so many times I start to believe it. I start to believe that's actually what happened. Anybody got somebody steal their life? Resent somebody for your life, right? My father rented space in my head forever, you know? It wasn't until I got pen to paper that I, that I understood who and what and why he became who he was, right? I didn't condone it, but I understood it. I could see now... Where life could throw you a curveball and take you down a road you didn't plan on going. You know? I can, I can understand how that happens now. You know? He was on my resentment list. My resentment list was short. I actually have my, my original resentment list. It, it has like six names on it. You know, I wasn't looking to see George who blackened my eyes in third grade. You know, I, I was looking like, what's, what's blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit right now? What is, what do I, what bleeding do I need to stop? You know, we're hemorrhaging when we get here, man. You know, we're bleeding out. You know, what is it? Where's it bleeding? Where's the wound? It ain't that kid in third grade. It's not the girl who told me no when I asked her out in, in junior high. It's none of them. It's my ex-wife. Current wife, future ex-wife. She was all three. And double X down the road, right? Pissed off, man. The police department. My old lady's lawyer. Ah, bastard. And my father was on there. I mean, that's where I was right at that moment. 
And that's what my sponsor said. Where are you right now? We'll do another one of these two weeks later if you want to. But where are you right now? What's renting space in your head right this minute? That was it right there. I got I to gotta overcome this, this sickness or this, this feeling or I'm not going to make it. I, just, I can't hold my breath any longer. This is where the transformation started for me. And just real quick, the mechanics of this thing. We make a list. We go top to bottom, right? Well, there's a reason why we go top to bottom. By the way, inventory by definition is a list, right? We go top to bottom, and then we go to the next column. Why are you pissed off at your wife? Top to bottom. What was affected? Top to bottom. What did you do? Top to bottom. Why? Because we don't want to relive it. We're inventorying it, right? We start reliving it. We'll never get it done, right? This is a quick process. We can get right through this quick. We're going to relive it when we share it in fifth step. But right now, I don't want to relive it. Why am I pissed off at my wife? She she divorced me. She took the house. She took custody of my child. She had me arrested. Why am I pissed off at her lawyer? I'm paying for her defense. That's bullshit. This guy's sending me bills. She hired him. Pissed off at the IRS. They took my money. I got this letter. I thought it was from Ira Levy. It was an IRA levy. I, uh, IRS levy. I, I said, who's this Ira Levy guy? You know? My account says, no, that's a, that's a levy. They just took your money. I found out later in a different column it was their money. <laughs> it wasn't my money. <laughs> <laughs> and I had my father on there. Why am I pissed off at my father? Beat my mother in front of us kids. Was never around. Never paid a dime in child support. Absentee father came and went as you know, once in a while he'd show up and then you never see him again for six months. You know. Just never there. And it's what I have one of those instinctual drives that we talked about last week. There's one of the, either the, the, the social, the security, or the sex instinct. One of those instinctual drives have to be affected for me to be pissed off at these people. Either affecting my reputation, what you think of me, or what I think of me, my self-esteem, or they're affecting my pocketbook, or possibly my emotional security, my ability to have somebody depend on me, or my dependence on somebody else, or my sex instinct. One of those three instinctual drives have to be affected for me to be pissed off. And we just check it. Some people, right, we just check which one was it. She took the house, material, security, had me arrested, social, my kids, my neighbors, all saw me cuffed and taken and charged. Is it going to affect my future? Damn right. I, know I got a record now. This could affect my security instinct in the future. The IRS, strictly security, strictly money. My father, I could have checked every box. That was my role model. My role models growing up were alcoholics, violent alcoholics. That's who they were. What do you think I became? And at this point, 
the book says we start looking at this stuff from a different angle because it doesn't take a genius. And I don't even know if you have to get to the turnaround part of this four step to realize this might be my fault. <laughs> Some of this could be my fault, right? Like I'm pissed off at the police because they arrested me. They were called, right? They were called to the, you knocked your wife down, Pat. You became what you hated in your father. Your drunken ass, violent piece of crap knocked your wife down in front of your two kids. It was a 911 call. It wasn't, let's go get Pat tonight. Right? It was their job. Right? Like immediately, I don't even have to do a turnaround on that to see what, I, what part I played in that. Same with the IRS. If you pay your taxes, they don't attach your checking account. They don't do that. They don't put a levy on your checking account. My father, I didn't put anything there. You know, the the book talks about at this point, 95% of them kind of drop off. And now they're going to give me a tool to deal with this. And it's called prayer. We start looking at this from a different angle. We start looking at them as, as maybe they're sick like we are. Maybe they got issues too. There's everybody in this room is going through something I know nothing about. Why can't I accept that they might have problems that they're dealing with? And it's not me. It's not personal. And it tells me to start praying for these people. As you would a sick person. And that sounds crazy. Unless you're desperate. Right? That sounds crazy. Unless you've admitted defeat. And face defeat. But I was willing to try it. And I started to get relieved. As soon as I started praying for somebody, which, by the way, is the most powerful act of love you can show from somebody for someone, whether you like them or not. (laughs) You can't hate and love at the same time. You can't pray for somebody and hate them at the same time. It just doesn't happen. You can hate them later. But while you're praying for them, the God in you connects with the God in them. And immediately I start to get relief from some of this stuff. And I start to look to the solution. My father, you know, we're not looking for where uh, kids were at fault for adult abuse or adult misbehavior. Not looking to see where I had a part in my dad beating in my mother in front of me. You know what I got? You know what I got out of looking at that? He was raised by two alcoholic parents. His dad would come home drunk and have those wake those boys up in the middle of the night and have them compete and fight with each other, you know, to teach them a lesson, to teach them toughness. Yeah. My dad had no shot at healthy relationships, as I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Violent alcoholics were my role models. I had no freaking shot. Right? Everybody lies. Everybody cheats. Everybody runs. You wonder why we have trust issues. Yeah. And that's the way I lived my life. I was never all in on any relationship. You've got to have a backup just because she's going to run. She's going to run. I'm going to find somebody better because I'm a piece of shit. I can't believe she's with me anyway because I have no self-esteem. I'm not worthy. So when she runs, I've got to have this backup plan just in case. Never all in, never committed in any relationship. Sadly, I was 
15 years sober going through a divorce before I learned that lesson. You know. Not that I was stepping out of the relationship, but boy, I wasn't committed. I wasn't completely committed to it. I was still a taker. 15 years sober in a marriage, still a taker. Still about me. Even living a life based on some principles, still about me. What's in it for me? How much is mine? What about me? So I get relief in just about all of them. Before I even do the turnaround, before I even see what I did to start this ball rolling, and what are are my tools that I'm using to satisfy these instinctual drives. Here's the tools I'm using. Selfishness, dishonesty, inconsideration, fear. That's the tools I'm using to satisfy these instinctual drives. How do I get you to like me? Well, I'm dishonest. I'm selfish. I'm a self-seeker. I'm inconsiderate. How am I satisfying the material? It's like, same way. A little dishonesty in there. A little manipulation. Some fear-based. All fear-based. Scared to death not to be in a relationship. Scared to death I'm going to lose a relationship. This paradoxville that we live in. I'm never going to be in a relationship. You get in a relationship, she's going to run. Yeah. Never going never gonna to keep this together. Scared to death, I'm never going to have a job and be successful. I get the job, scared to death, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. I could not let go of the fact that she took my house. The most important thing in my life, ahead of my children, was that house. Right? You'd think I would be fighting to get custody of my son back. I was fighting for the house. I was the house. You asked me how I was doing. Ah, that house. She's taking the house. Guy remembers Dennis. So Dennis, Dennis used to go, hey, hey, tough guy. That's how you'd see you. Hey, tough guy. He was an old Chicago gangster. Tough guy. How's your way working? I said, oh, Dennis. I don't know. She's, she's not giving up on that house, man. You know. He said, you're really worried about that house, aren't you, Pat? I said, oh, yeah, man. That's, I worked all my life for that house. I saved for years. I put the money down to get that house. You're going to lose it. <laughs> He'd walk away. You know, Thanks for the support, Dennis. Yeah. See Dennis a little bit later. How's it going, Pat? Oh, tough guy. How's your way working? I said, oh, man. I'm working on that house, man. I got an attorney on it right now. Right. We're making a little headway. We're making a little headway. Uh, since it is in my name, I think I should have it, and so does my attorney. And he said, "Bad, you're going to lose that thing." And he walk away. Yeah. So somebody suggested that I go into the back of the book and read the story "Freedom from Bondage," and uh, I started reading it, and it's a woman that wrote it. And I said, "No way, I'm not reading this shit." But I was desperate. So on page 552, it is. She talks, about, she talks about a resentment that she had towards her mother that she held on to for years. And, and this is similar to what my father's was, but it wasn't the issue. The house was the issue. But, you know, how we blame our parents for our failures, right? We, I blame my dad. She blamed her mother's alcoholism on her inability to make a living, on her ability to have relationships. And there may be some truth in that. But at some point, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. So she can't overcome the resentment. And I can't overcome this resentment about my wife taking, ex-wife taking this house. And it says to pray for them for two weeks straight. Whether you want to or not. Just two weeks every day, pray for them. 
Pray for their welfare. Pray that they have everything that they want in life. Pray for forgiveness for them. I went, oh my God, you know, this is ridiculous. But it was killing me. You know how it is, right? The resentments just are eating you. They're just, you just, all day long, all you can think about is, is attacking that house. You know, I just got to, as soon as I get off work, I'm calling the lawyer again. You know, it's just eating me a lot. When I talk to her, I don't ask how the kids are doing. I said, what about my fucking house? You know? <laughs> and I, I, Charlie probably used to laugh, make me laugh. He used to say, the prayer usually starts like this. God, give her everything she deserves. Right? But that's a start. That's a start, right? I mean, that's a start. And that's where mine started, you know. And, uh, and I started about a week into it. And I have this revelation. And, I, and, I, and only in prayer would that happen, right? That would not happen with me sitting on, how am I going to figure this out? How am I going to fix this? And my sponsor kept telling me, and guys like Dennis kept saying, Pat, you can't fix it. Let it go. You can't fix it. It'll be okay. I don't know what it's going to be, but it'll be okay. The acceptance prayer, right? Everything's just the way it's supposed to be right now, Pat. Just let it go. I couldn't let it go. About a week into it, here's what comes on my heart. Are you really going to kick your children out of their bedrooms? Wow. Where, did, where does that come from? That wasn't me. That wasn't me. Are you really going to hate the mother of your children? Do you really want the mother of your children to be miserable? That's not me. That's God entering my heart. Now, I don't know that at the time, but that is a change in perception, right? And the next day, I call her up and I go, you know what? I don't care about the house anymore. You can have it. She said, I don't want it. <laughs> I never wanted it. Dennis saw me like the day before that. And Dennis says to me, hey, tough guy, how's it going? I said, oh, Dennis, that house thing, I don't care about the house anymore. He says, you're going to keep it. (laughs) I don't know how you guys know that. I don't know what kind of soothsayers you are or who you're tapped into, right? I call the next day. She said, I don't want it. I can't afford this house. Help us get an apartment. And that's what I did. I've been in the house ever been in that house for 40 years <laughs> you know, never lost it and for months for four months five months i was tormented by the thought of losing a house that i didn't lose how it, it sounds ridiculous looking in the rearview mirror don't it? it just sounds ridiculous to let somebody or something steal your life like that that's the shit that we got to get rid of That's the stuff that's killing us. That's the stuff that I'm drinking over. I can't stand it. I can't stand what you're doing to me. I need to take the edge off. And immediately, part of my soul opens up to sunlight of the spirit. The the God within. We all have the God within. The conscious, the soul, the, the common sense, the knowing right from wrong, whatever you want to call that. It's there, deep down within every one of us. I can't get to it because of these resentments and this fear and this anger and this guilt, remorse, and shame. And all of a sudden, I've removed part of what's blocking me from the sunlight, and I'm starting to feel it. I'm starting to change. I'm starting to look at life from a different angle now. Real quick, I'll, I'll finish with this. You know, I was, Shannon and I were sitting at uh, Bonefish Max in uh, Margate having dinner. And this waitress comes by and just throws the menus out on the table, man. 
and just keeps walking. And I went, son of a bitch, you know. Where's the man? I'm thinking, first thoughts, where's the manager of this place? You know, like, what kind of service is this, right? And she comes back to see if we want any drinks. And I went, are you okay? And she said, it's been one of those days. No, I'm not. And I said, sit down. And she sat down. And she dumped on me and Shannon for about five minutes, right? Best service I've ever had. Best service I've ever had. Just looking at it from a different angle. Instead of it being about me, I wonder what's going on in her life that's making her so miserable. wonder if I can do anything to help. And boom, right? We have that effect if we want. We can torment ourselves and other people, or we can bring peace to ourselves and other people. We have a choice today. We'll get more into four next week. Thanks for letting me be here tonight. Can everyone join me in thanking Pat one more time? And let's have Ryan with our secretary's report. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm your alcoholic secretary. Hi. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of the chairs. If you'd rather give through Venmo, we can do that. And I've asked Amy to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's welcome Amy. Recovered alcoholic? Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured? That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Amy. 1940-style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back into his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Does anybody need a sponsor? If you could raise your hand. No? If you're too shy, just come stand up here after the meeting, and someone will come talk to you. Um, Can the recovered alcoholics raise your hand? Awesome. If your hand's not up, talk to someone whose hand is. Uh, we have a couple of announcements. Broward County Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. 
They meet monthly to organize meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Is anybody here a uh, BCIC member? No? Awesome. Well, if you need information on that, just see someone after the meeting. And then we actually don't have a meeting next week because it's Thanksgiving. So um, we will see you in two weeks uh, to hear more from Pat. And then Monday night, we have our uh, big book study on the third floor of this building. So definitely come check that out. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the table in the back. If you're interested in any of that, just see any home group member. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Also, if you're looking for some service to do tonight, uh, after the meeting, we're going to need each row of chairs stacked up because we're doing a Thanksgiving turkey drive thing in here over the weekend. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind helping out, we'd appreciate it. Awesome. See you next week. Thanks, Ryan. We have tonight's session and all the past speakers podcasted at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. We're still learning how it works. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up in the center aisle. Let's all circle up and close with the Lord's Prayer. Um, let's take a moment of silence to remember the still sick and suffering alcoholic in and out of the room. Who woke us up today? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Doesn't matter how hard
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life 
are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time. That's at my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Yeah.